Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Appreciate you all joining me for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. All right, I want to talk a little bit today about free will a concept that many of us have been taught in our religious days. I was taught, maybe you weren't, but I was taught, God will never mess with your free will. You have a choice. You can choose to go to heaven. Of course, you have to make a lot of other choices to make that happen, according to religion, or you can choose to go to hell. God will not mess with your free will. Well, first of all, nobody would ever choose to go to hell if you really thought about what religion teaches you about hell. Second of all, that whole concept that God will never go against our free will, God will never violate our free will, is not in Scripture anywhere. Not a single place. If you can find a Scripture that clearly says that, send it to me. I I, I would... I would love to see it because I've never seen one yet. Now, there are some very vague things that you could take and stretch a whole lot and do a lot of mental gymnastics with and say, well, see, right there it is. (laughs) I can't even think of any of them that say that. But at any rate, this whole concept of our free will versus God never violating that has done a lot of damage to people and caused a lot of confusion. So I want to talk about that today and give you some ammunition, if you will, about that. And then we'll get back uh, into our study of the book of Ephesians. So Moses one time, this was after the uh, Israelites had left Egypt and they were in the desert and they had uh, this big tent, a tabernacle tent. They hadn't built a temple yet. They were still in the desert. Uh, and there was a place in it called the Holy of Holies where Moses met with God and uh, he talked to God there. And then one time he goes up on this uh, mountain to talk to God. So in Exodus 33 verses 18 and 19, Moses wrote Exodus. So here's his account of it. Moses said, I beseech you, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, I will, here's part of God's will, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious And I will show mercy and loving kindness on whom I will show mercy and loving kindness. Now, what did God show Moses when Moses said, let me see your glory? We don't know because Moses never writes down exactly what he saw. He just says, 
if you want to see God's glory said, here my glory is my goodness and my grace and my will to be gracious and show mercy and loving kindness to whoever I want, regardless of what they have done, whether they want it or not, whether they even like me or not. Now, here's how the Apostle Paul addresses that. He's quoting Moses in Romans chapter 9, chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. This is the amplified version. He's saying, God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, look at this next verse. Have you ever seen this before? Romans 9, verse 16. Paul says, so then, God's gift, compassion, mercy, grace, goodness, God's gift is not a question of human will and human effort, but of God's mercy. It depends not on one's own willingness, nor on his strenuous exertion, as in running a race, but on God's having mercy on him. Uh, just listen to that again. Romans nine sixteen. This is the amplified version. God's gift is not a question of human will and human effort, but of God's mercy. It depends not on one's own willingness, nor on his strenuous exertion in running a race, but on God's having mercy on him. I don't know how much plainer you can get in Scripture to say that God's going to do what he wants, and what he wants is to be good and do good and give us grace and mercy, and it has nothing to do with our human will. It's just, you know, that that's absolutely plain to me. This whole concept of God not ever violating human will is a man-made doctrine that's not based on any scripture and is simply not true. And it has confused a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people. Now, God, you know, put us here on earth. He doesn't make our choices for us here on earth. He doesn't control us. We're not, he's not, uh, we're not like puppets that he, he has on a string that he's uh, orchestrating every one of our moves. Uh, I believe he does influence us to do things, but we can choose whatever we want to choose. I believe he steps in from time to time to protect us or to give us opportunities or things like that. But for the most part, he lets us make decisions, then he submits to those decisions, and he works them all out for the good while we're here on earth. When we take our last breath, then God's will absolutely takes over. And God's will is that no one perish, but that everyone experiences eternal life, the life of the ages, abundant life with God forever. Now, can we resist that after we die? I don't know. There, there are different theories on that. 
some people say, no, you're just instantly changed and you believe right and you make the right choice and everything. Others say, no, it, you know, for as long as we want to resist him, God will be there right there with us. We'll never be away from him or away from his love. But however long it takes for God to purify us and for us to change our mind, now there is no time in eternity, but you know, if there was, you know, suppose, I guess it could take 100,000 years or whatever. So, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen there, but we do know that it's God's will that we all be with him and experience his love forever. I think it's impossible to make a free will decision about anything until you have all the information. If I don't have all the information on uh, any given thing, I can't, you know, I can make a decision as to whether or not I'm going to do that or watch that or see that or participate in that. But I, you know, and I try to get as much information as I can about anything and then make a decision. And sometimes, you know, it ends up not being a good decision, even though my intentions were right. Now, about accepting Christ, about asking God to come into our heart, asking to be saved. Hopefully, you've listened enough to know uh, by now that none of those things are biblical. But let's suppose that they were. We can't make a an informed decision on that. We can't make a free will decision on it until we know everything there is to, to know. We won't know everything there is to know until we see God face to face. And when we know how good God is, how he loves us all unconditionally, how his grace covers and includes everyone, how he is pure light with no trace of darkness. And when we know there is no hell, there is no eternal torture chamber that he is prepared in advance to keep people alive supernaturally and torture them forever because they never heard of him or because they never asked Jesus in their heart because they were never confirmed or because they never spoke in tongues or whatever your abomination has told you. You know, you will know none of that is true. Then you can make an informed decision. And you only have one option. There is no other option than to be with God and in his love forever. There is no other option. Now, you, I suppose a person could reject that or say, no, I'm not going to have any of that. But like the older brother in the prodigal son story, God says, yeah, well, okay, you know, that's what you want, but I'm going to stay right here with you and I'm going to love you and everything I have is yours. And I'd like for you to come in with me and celebrate. But, you know, if you don't want to, I, I'll stay out here with you as long as you want. All right. So that's that's my starting point today on, on talking about free will. Now, I hope that's helpful. Uh, we're going to take just a few minutes and we're going to look at a few more verses in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 5. And this is the mirror translation. Paul says this. Now, he wrote this 2,000 years ago, roughly, but it's absolutely true today, and it's absolutely exciting. He says, in no previous generation has there been a more comprehensive and detailed knowledge of the full consequence of grace as it has now been uncovered in the spirit 
to God's ambassadors who brought the prophetic promise into full view. Mankind may now realize that the prophetic word is fulfilled in them. Everything the prophets saw is now declared. Both the prophets who saw this in advance and the apostles, whom Paul was, who now proclaim this, are sanctioned in Christ. In no previous generation has there been a more comprehensive and detailed knowledge of the full consequences of grace as there is right now. Now, part of that's because there's been 2,000 years since then, and people have been listening to the Holy Spirit since then, and God has been revealing more and more. I mean, we'll never know totally how good God is and in all of his wonderful attributes and how he loves us all, but we know way, way, way more than we ever have before, and we're learning more and more every day. Verse 6, Paul says, the essence of what I see reveals the fact that the multitude of humanity, everyone, are joint participants in the same inheritance. We are all part of one and the same body in Christ. The good news is God's promise is equally relevant and applicable to us all. The good news is God's promise, his promise of total restoration of all things, of us being with him forever, God's promise is equally relevant and applicable to all people everywhere for all time. Verse 7, Paul says, this gospel, now this gospel instead of the gospel, a specific gospel, and we're going to look at that. This gospel defines my ministry, Paul says. I am supercharged by the gifts of God's grace. That's pretty cool. All right. Now, this gospel, I want you to see what Paul wrote uh, to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4. This is the Amplified. He says, you seem willing to allow it if someone comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. You tolerate all this beautifully welcoming the deception. All right, Paul says, the gospel Jesus gave me is the true one. It's the real one. This gospel is what defines his ministry. And he says, you guys, you seem to be willing to accept other versions of the gospel, which he says are no gospel at all. Now, I'm going to jump back to Ephesians 3, verse 8. Paul says, I am the lowest ranked saint by far, and I am qualified purely by God's grace, his gospel, to declare this unexplored treasure of Christ in the nations to all people. He says, my claim to fame emphasizes the fact that grace is a gift and certainly not a reward for good behavior. There's this theme all the way through here. God gives grace unconditional love, acceptance, inclusion, favor to everyone, not as a reward for good behavior or anything else. Now, Paul says he's the chief of all sinners. He's referring to the fact that he missed the mark of who God is by the furthest possible distance you can ever miss it. 
you know, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, one of the top religious leaders in the Jewish nation. And the nation was, everybody were Jewish. It was, it was a way of life. It was religion and government and, and uh, you know, politics, culture, everything. Once you look at 1 Timothy 1, Paul writes this too, starting in verse 11. Paul says, I have been commissioned to preach the wonderful news of the glory of the exalted God. My heart spills over with thanks to God for the way he continually empowers me and to our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, who found me trustworthy and who authorized me to be his partner in this ministry. He says, mercy kissed me. Even though I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor of believers, a scorner of what turned out to be true, I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. I was flooded with, even though I was the worst sinner of all, he says, I was flooded with such incredible grace. It was like a river overflowing its banks until I was full of faith and love for Jesus, the anointed one. Grace, the gift of grace floods us and fills us full of faith, and it's Jesus' faith. Faith is not something we work up. It's a gift that God gives us. Verse 15, 1 Timothy 1. He said, I can testify that the word is true, what he's teaching there, the word. There, there was no New Testament then. There was no Bible. Jesus, the living word of God. He says, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all, for Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. Because of this, my praises rise to the king of all the universe who is indestructible, invisible, and full of glory. The only God who is worthy of the highest honor throughout all time and throughout the eternity of eternities. So Paul is saying he was the worst of all sinners, but God chose him. It wasn't Paul's personal will to do that. God show up, showed up and revealed himself to Paul, his name was Saul then, revealed that he had always been in Saul and that Jesus was the real deal. That was, that was a gift of grace revealed to Saul by God himself. And when, when that happened, Saul went, well, okay, now I have all the information. What I thought before was not true. You've just showed me what is, it, what is true. So, all right, what do you want me to do, Lord? And the Lord told him what he wanted to do. And he tells us here in Ephesians 9 what the Lord wanted him to do. Now, I want you to pay really careful attention to this. Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 9, the mandate of my message is to make all men see. The unveiling of this eternal secret is to bring into public view an association that has always been hidden from God. Jesus Christ is the blueprint of creation. 
Paul's mandate of his message is to make all people see the truth of the gospel of grace, which includes God is unconditional love. There are no conditions, no nothing you have to do or can do to earn it. It's for everyone, grace for everyone, mercy for everyone, inclusion of everyone. God is pure light with no trace of darkness. God is pure goodness. God doesn't keep any record of wrongs. This, this is the message that Paul was given by God to help everyone see. Now, I believe that's the message God has given you and me. He may not have called you to be a preacher or a pastor or a writer or a public speaker or a Sunday school teacher or a Bible school leader or a small group leader. He may not have even called you to go to a church. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. But he has called us all to help all men and women see what the truth is. We have multiple, multiple, multiple opportunities to do that just in the way we live, in our countenance and how we radiate joy and confidence and trust in God, how we see other people as God sees them, all of them God's children, Christ in all of them, all of them accepted and included, how we don't judge people, how we don't condemn people, how we don't exclude people. Uh, we, We don't We don't want to be part of the group that's known for what they're against as opposed to what we're for. What we're for is for all people to know how good God is, how they're already uh, included, how they're already sozo. They've already been made perfect and whole and right with God forever. That's the mandate, I would say, for all of us. We We don't even have to know scripture verses to do that. Uh, sometimes it's better that we don't because so many people have been given wrong versions, wrong meanings, wrong interpretations of Scripture verses. Now, I, I love the Bible. I love that I'm not diminishing the Bible at all. Uh, I, I teach from the Bible. I'm doing that right now. I am saying it's absolutely imperative that we see everything in Scripture through the lens of Christ, who is the living Word of God, who is the exact representation of the Father. And if we're going to be interested in in using Scripture to try to convince people, well, good luck with that. But if we are, then it behooves us to study that, know the context, who it was written to, what the writer was trying to get across to people, know what the actual words mean, understanding what uh, where translations have gone wrong and all of that kind of stuff. And most importantly, to listen to the Holy Spirit in us, show us. Now, we're not all called to do that. Here's what we can do. We can treat people like Jesus does. We can love people unconditionally. We can exude joy. We can accept people. We can welcome people. We can include people. We can not judge people. We can do all of those things. And then when they ask us, why are you like this? What's what's different? And you say, well, I know who God really is. I know that God's good. I know that God loves me and loves everybody. I know he's already included me. I know there's no place of eternal conscious torment. 
I know that God loves everybody. Nobody's excluded. Everybody's included. I know that. And if they say, well, how do you know that? Because God in me reveals that to me, and he tells that to me. That's when you've had God reveal that to you personally, you have all the confidence, all the ability, all the qualification you ever need to tell someone. Are you going to get resistance? Are are you going to get pushback? Well, of course, because most people have heard differently. But so what? We know who God is, and we have the privilege of telling them and showing them by our life, by how we live, by how we treat other people, the difference that it makes when we know the only true gospel and the only true God, as Jesus calls his papa. That's the good news that is the mandate of my ministry, and I hope it is yours too whether your ministry is to the children that you're raising, to your spouse, to your parents, to your neighbors, to people where you work with, whoever and wherever it's to. All right. Hey, thank you all so much for being with me. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, If you haven't yet, whatever platform you're watching or listening uh, to this, if you wouldn't mind subscribing to it, and if there's something that you like, you know, click the like button and uh, make a comment or so. For one thing, that lets me know that people are watching us and, and who some of you are. For another thing, it helps the algorithm so that when people look up, uh, uh, when they want to know more about grace or inclusion or the gospel, the more people who subscribe and the more comments and likes that you get, that raises the uh, probability of it coming up when people search for it. Thank you all uh, for watching, for being with us for another episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Love you all. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.